Good morning, church. It's a beautiful day, isn't it? We had a cold front come in this week. Woo! I really hope that you will consider and pray about joining a connect group. I know we've already had the promo for it, but I just want to I want to encourage you pastorally. Um, connect groups, I love every ministry, by the way. Every ministry at the Exchange Church is phenomenal from e-kids. Oh, gosh, so much to tell you guys. The first Sunday in October, we are splitting classrooms, and we are starting a newborn and pre-K room. Yes! Now, the catch is we're... We don't yet have enough volunteers for every Sunday, but what we've just decided we're going to start with what's in our hands and believe God to provide the rest. So if you enjoy the age of zero to four pre-K, we need you. We want you. Um, it's not just babysitting. It is ministering to families and, oh, it's just going to be amazing. You do have to pass a background check. Um, just to give you a heads up on that. If you don't pass a background check, we do have other places that you can serve. There's a place for everyone to belong at the exchange, but if you have a history or a past that God has already forgiven you, I know, but we still uh, have some standards at the exchange to where you wouldn't be able to work with kids, but we can get, we can get you somewhere. Um, but if you can pass a background check, and you love kids and families and you want to be a part of that, that's starting the beginning of August. And man, just get with me, get with Ramona. Ramona, can you wave at us? Y'all take a look at Ramona, who is currently doing double duty. She is our online host. So her computer, she's not surfing or shopping on Amazon right now. She is hosting all of our online congregations. So way to go, Ramona. Also, today is Tristan's first day producing the services. That's my boy. That's my boy. He's 18 years old, I think. Is he that the youngest producer we've ever had? Very good. And you're doing really good, Tristan. Keep it up. Don't mess up now. Don't mess up now. But from e-kids to production to worship to parking, first impressions to our marketing team, to our thank God for our security team that keeps us safe every Sunday. They do things you don't even know they do so that we can worship God safely. And uh, all the teams are just lovely and wonderful. But the Connect Group team, that ministry opportunity takes what we do on a Sunday and allows you to go so much deeper with God. Growth happens more frequently and faster in a Connect Group than serving on any other team. So I want to encourage you, this is your pastoral counsel, please, as my pastor would say, hear me, church, this is your pastor speaking. Please sign up for Connect Groups. The QR code is going to be available on the screen right now in case you missed it. I, I believe it's also available out front. If you need a QR code at any point in today's service to sign up for Connect Groups, because they start next week, so we want to get you plugged in today or this week. Connect Groups are starting. And then this Wednesday is the first Wednesday of September. What is that, church? Awaken. We dedicate and we commit the first Wednesday of the month, every month, to uh, just putting God first and showing up here for prayer. We have worship. It's a live worship set. 
Luca, that's my grandson. He was just ready for me to preach. He's tired of the announcements. I know, it's coming. The sermon is coming. We'd love to see you this Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. And then following prayer, we have family night. So at 7.30, you bring your food. We have tables set up. We play board games and just hang out and fellowship. It's really a great time. So I hope you'll come for that. Now, let's get in the word because after all, today is a good day to renew my mind, to encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Can you say that with me? Today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. I have good news and bad news. It's the same. The good news is we're not in Genesis 41 today. The bad news is we're not in Genesis 41 today. I love that chapter. I've been in that chapter for about eight weeks, but we are going to move on. Um, I, I love in Genesis chapter 40, we, we've just spent the past eight weeks talking about Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph is dying. It's the end of Genesis. And he says something on his deathbed. He talks about the day when God brings them out of Egypt and he tells them to carry his bones with them. <laughs> That's a, a verse that... I, I don't guess I've really read too many times or paid much attention to, but I just thought it was fascinating that he says, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph was so impactful for the Israelites in the land of Egypt that even his bones needed to be carried with them when they left. And we find out in the next book of the Bible, Exodus, Exodus 13 tells us that Moses took the bones of Joseph. So you know that story? They make a movie, lots of movies about it, cartoons. And you've got Moses, the white flowing hair, white beard. And he stands at the edge of the water and he's got a staff. And he raises up a staff and the wind comes and the, the sea begins to part. Do you remember that? You've seen stories of that? It's probably the most talked about Bible story that there is. Um, the most movies that have been made about it, the kids' tales about it. Um, I never really saw any movie that showed you the bag of bones that was being carried. But when they're standing there ready to cross the Red Sea, he's carrying a bag of bones. And I want to jump into our text today because we're going to jump from Joseph to the next main character in the Old Testament, and that's Moses. Moses. Will you please stand to your feet in honor of reading the word of the Lord today. Exodus 14 verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Paharath, between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal Pharaoh will think, The Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. 
So the Israelites did this. Now this block of text, uh, you may have heard the story where Moses goes to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, no, I'm not. And he goes back multiple times and then all of the plagues. And eventually Pharaoh says, yes, I'm going to let the people of God go. The people of God go and they find themselves in this block of text standing before the water. And on one side are mountains, the other side are mountains. They're standing in a valley and they're facing the Red Sea. And the Bible says the Lord told Moses to have them turn and then turn around. So God was making it look like the Israelites were confused. If you were looking from the outside, you would think they're confused, right? Now, this block of text that's leading us into crossing the promised land is talked about in several other places of Scripture, and we're going to read that together before you sit down. Psalm 106, 7 through 12, just gives you a different perspective. Our fathers in Egypt did not understand your wonders. They did not remember the multitude of your mercies, but rebelled by the sea, the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it dried up. So he led them through the depths, as through the wilderness. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered the enemies. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words and they sang his praise. Father, we come before you today. I thank you for what you're doing in the room. I thank you that you intend to meet us here to speak to our hearts today, to change our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, turn to the person next to you and say, it's time to go through the waters. Through the waters. Cold water would be good right about now in this heat. Through the waters. Anyone in a season of transition in the room? Okay, one in the back immediately here. Any, a season of transition. Maybe you're believing God for transition. Anyone? Okay, a, a few more. Maybe you've just come out of transition. Okay, some of us are... We came out of transition, now we're just floating in the atmosphere waiting for the next transition to kick in. I understand. Uh, how many believe that big change is coming? You don't know what it looks like, but big change is coming. One more time, I got I to gotta make eye contact with everybody. Big change is coming. This is your point of faith right here. Big change, big change, big change. Okay, all right, little man. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, I see it. All right, I see you. Big change, big change, big change. Oh. I missed a hand. Oh, yes. I see. Big change. Big change, Sale. All right. Big change. Got you all. That was our, our, our point of faith. I want you to point back to this sermon. And this is the moment when you start to see the progress that you have been praying for. In Jesus' name, big change is coming. Now, since you don't really know what that big change is going to look like, let me just comfort you with these words. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. 
I know you have no clue what that change is. You don't know how it's going to get here or what's going to happen when the change comes. You just feel something stirring. And my advice to you today is don't be afraid. Now, I love in verse 13 of the chapter that we're reading, Exodus 14, Moses looks at the Israelites and they're in this situation that I just described to all of us. They are hemmed in. And Moses looks to the people in verse 13. They know big change is coming, but they don't know how, don't know when, not sure how that's going to unfold. And Moses says to them, don't be afraid. I just find that funny. I find it funny, and it kind of ticks me off when I'm faced up against something that I don't know the outcome, and someone on the outside who has no dog in the fight looks at me and says, don't worry about it. Don't don't worry about it. That's easy for you to say. I'm the one living it. I'm the one trying to count out the beans and rice until I get the next paycheck. It's easy for you while you're cutting your filet mignon. (laughs) But I'm over here heating up TV dinners that smell way better than they taste. Always the case. Never be envious of a TV dinner because it smells way better than it tastes. Don't be afraid. Now, listen, as a kid, it's easy for us to get into our head and the creativity side of life can build irrational fears. You know, like when my grandkids were here in July, I'm driving my Suburban and they're all in the back and my, my oldest grandchild, River, just loses it. She goes, she is bawling, screaming in the back of the seat And it's nighttime, and we're headed home from a wonderful day. I think we went to Schlitterbahn. There's no reason to be crying right now. And she's screaming, and I'm driving. I I shot back to my kids. I said, what's the problem? And Mike and my son said, oh, yeah, she's scared of the moon. (laughs) She's what? She's scared of the moon. Okay. And I'm thinking, how can I get River to not be afraid of the moon? I mean, her life must be miserable because that thing comes around like once every 24 hours. (laughs) At what point is she going to realize it's not going to attack her, you know? But she's crying, the moon, the moon. And it's it's an irrational fear. And I could say all day, baby, don't be afraid, but that's not going to help. My wife did something brilliant. One night they were looking at the moon together, and she said to River, hey, River, when you see the moon, see that beautiful moon? And River said, yeah. When you see the moon, I want you to remember that Lolly's thinking about you. And so they get back to Australia, and it's the moon. We lay in bed. Like one of the first couple nights we're home alone, our house is empty. We feel old, and all our kids are gone. Our grandkids are gone. We're like, Carrie and I are laying in bed. I'm trying to sleep, and Carrie says, look at that. And I'm like, what? The moon. And I look, and she's taking a picture of the moon, and she sent it to River on the other side of the world in Australia, 
and said, Lolly's thinking about you. Hmm. I thought it was pretty brilliant to take something that creates fear in our granddaughter and attach love and thoughtfulness to it. So now instead of being afraid of the moon, River can think, it looks scary, but when something looks scary, I can remember I'm being thought about. So you take that irrational fear and you, you try to attach something of value to it so the irrational fear you know, doesn't keep a hold on you. But that's tricky. I don't really know how to do that all the time. But here's what's worse. There's only one thing worse than trying to fix irrational fear. Fixing rational fear. When you're asleep and you hear a bump in the night. Your glass shatter in the house. Your footsteps upstairs. Like fear that should be there because that fear is going to keep you alive. How do you handle fear in that moment? Like where do you go from that? Don't be afraid doesn't really work in that moment. And, And I think about the children of Israel. If I were them, I'm standing between the mountains in the valley facing this. And I see the army behind me. And Moses says, don't be afraid. I think that's rational fear. I think it makes sense for me to be afraid in that moment. So for him to say, don't be afraid, it's not natural. It's not normal. When he said, don't be afraid, it was supernatural. So when I encourage you today, when you're standing against that sea that you don't know how you're going to cross, and I say, don't be afraid, I actually don't need to know your circumstances to encourage you. I just need to know my God. I can supernaturally say to you, there is no reason to fear, Rhonda. There is no reason to be afraid. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what's coming. There is no reason to fear, and yet we see here the Israelites were terrified. Now, I want to I go back for just a moment because many of us said the big change is coming. Transition is coming. Maybe it's headed here or you're already there. So I want to look back at the life of Moses real quick in Exodus chapter 3 and see how it began with him. In Exodus 3 verse 8, Moses is tending a flock. He's on the backside of the desert. He sees a burning bush, a bush that catches fire, except the fire doesn't consume the bush. It's it's God. He's wanting to speak to Moses, but Scripture tells us he doesn't speak to Moses until Moses turns aside. God's waiting to speak to some of us until we actually make space for him and get face-to-face with him. We're wanting God to speak to us as we run along in life, but God is wanting us to turn aside just like Moses. Then in Exodus 3 verse 8, God says this to Moses, So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. What is that land called? I'm asking. The land that flows with milk and honey. What's it called? Somebody said Canaan. Somebody said promised land. I'll take either one. You've both won. Although, you know, promised land's not in the Bible. Right, we, we call it the promised land, but you actually can't find that in Scripture. Uh, it's called Canaan. 
Scholars just labeled it promised land because it's the land of promise, but that's exactly what they're talking about, to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. So God gives him a word. God is giving Moses a word in Exodus chapter 3. Now transition, your transition, our transition, is often initiated with a word from the Lord. God has given us an idea of where we're going, an idea of what should happen next or where he's taking us. Transition often is initiated with the word from God. Promises initiate processes. Write that down in your notes today. Promises initiate processes. And that process determines if the promise will come to pass. A big change, a shift, a transition, a promise initiates a process. And how we go through that process determines if that promise is going to come to pass. There are a lot of people in the church living unfulfilled prophecy. God had promised this kind of life, that kind of life. God had promised this outcome, that outcome, but it never seems to happen because they forget that the majority of all New Testament prophecies are if-then statements. Any computer programmers in the room? Any software designers, developers, anyone with logic that understands if-then statements? If this happens, then that will happen. The promises of God, there are a few times that God swears by himself. When God makes a promise and swears by himself, that means the promise is going to come to pass no matter what humanity does. But almost all, prophe- all prophecies in the New Testament are if-then statements, meaning if you do X, God will do Y. What if prophecy is more about possibility than inevitability? How many of us right now are just holding on to a word that we're just believing is for our season or for our life? Like, I'll give you a few examples. God is going to bring my kids back home. Like, God is going to bring our kids to the the Lord. God is going to heal my body. God is going to set my sister's mind free. That's just an example, not my life for Amber. Sherry, they're fine, they're all right. How many of you are just holding on to a promise right now? Okay, good. Everyone should have a promise to hold on to. If you've already seen the fulfillment of the last promise, you need to find the next promise. You need to run after the next promise. Come on, everybody should be lifting their hand that you have a promise you're holding on to. If you're not holding on to a promise, you're not running the race that has been laid out for you. There's a promise for each of us to hold on to right now, but every promise from God is an if-then statement. That's not true. Not every promise, but I guarantee every promise that you're walking through right now is. And we want to forget our portion of the if, and we want to hold God accountable for the then. I know what, it, I know what it's like to chase after a word. Man, when I was growing up, my buddy, my best friend, Michael, He and I would go to tent revival, to tent revival, to tent revival, to 
prophecy person to prophecy person, prophecy person. I love the prophetic. I am prophetic. I is a prophet. I love it. But if all we're doing is running after the next prophecy before the last one has been fulfilled or worked on or been intentional with our time, treasure, talent, or efforts, we're missing the mark. We feel really good about getting a word from the Lord, but what did you do with the last word that you got from him? And if you continue, just listen, hear me. This is not on my notes, but God is a good steward of the word. He doesn't plant words in infertile soil. So if you think you're getting a word after a word after a word after a word after a word and your life is not being transformed, those actually aren't words from the Lord. If they are words from the Lord, then you're not doing your part to fulfill them because every promise that you're going to see in your life is an if-then statement. We hope somebody's going to give us a word and it happens tomorrow. I've been there. Good grief. I I know the days of being broke and hearing a prophet say, I'm going to see abundance. And I wake up the next day checking the mail. And I'm not saying that God can't deliver mail the next day, by the way. God could send you a windfall quicker than your Wells Fargo can take it in. Wow, I doubt that. Wells Fargo needs a lot right now. But you know what I'm saying. God can surprise and, and do the extraordinary. And God, will, God is God. God will do what he wants to do. If he wants to drop the miracle in your life like that, that's great. But if not, let's just continue to contend for it. Let's not just assume that we misheard or that God isn't bringing that healing. God's not bringing that restoration. God's not bringing my child home. Let's, let's not forget to fight the good fight of faith and continue to contend for the promises that God has for us. We just want it to happen tomorrow. But the problem is that's not biblical. By and large, the promises that you're expecting from God are not 24-hour promises. And God is not a God that is really into the 24-hour delivery. He's not Amazon Prime. You look at the history of God in Scripture, and he's always looking for a partner. He's looking for a remnant. He's looking for a bride. He's looking for the 12. He's looking for the 40. He's looking for the people who are willing to get down and dirty with him and really walk the walk of faith to see the fruit produced in their life. He's not into just handing out miracles. Now, yes, sometimes he'll create wine for the wedding because mama said to. But he would much rather sit in the vineyard with you. Part of God's promising you things isn't even about the promise. It's about the divine dance. It's about getting you on the dance floor so that he and you can have a conversation. So that he and you can spend some quality time. You can talk about the promise. He can paint a pretty picture for you. He'll twirl you around. But it's really not about the promise. It's about the process leading to the promise. And the bigger the promise, the bigger the process. Our promise doesn't always look the way we think. There was a picture that came across social media this week, at least on my, it was suggested for me. I don't know what this says about me, but it was suggested for me. 
and it's the Thatcher effect. The Thatcher effect. I have a picture right here. You see this woman, lovely woman. Um, you look at her. She, she looks like a beautiful woman. Our brains are programmed to read faces incrementally. So uh, you can look at her left eye, her right eye, her mouth, her nose, and your brain tells you that is a woman upside down. But we don't normally see faces upside down, right? With the exception of Spider-Man, but even he had a mask. Uh, We don't normally see that. We know it's a face because, uh, we know it's a face, but because we rarely encounter upside down faces, we haven't learned to interpret the expressions on them. I mean, the facial features look fine. So our brain assumes the rest of the face is fine as well. That's why we don't see anything out of the ordinary right now, except when we turn the picture right side up. We realize our, our brain did a number on us. That, is a, that woman has a bottom lip for a top lip, and top eyelid for bottom. She has been awake for way too many hours. Can we just go back to the first picture? Just to prove to everyone, it's actually the same, the same photo, just upside down. Is that not wild, how your brain perceives that to be a normal-looking woman right now? And then, and then, oh, Lord. What we have to keep in mind regarding the promises of God is often that what we think are the promises of God is not actually what God had in mind. What we think our destiny should look like is not what God thinks our destiny should look like. Because we just want to skip the process. God gives us a promise, and we think it's one way, like the upside-down woman. We think it it looks great, and then we see what God really meant, and we're like, "Hold, hold on a minute. That's not the promise that I thought you were giving me. Like the couple that prays for a baby, and then for four months straight, they don't sleep. The husband that prays for a wife, or the wife that prays for a husband, and then the first two years of marriage is like, what did I get myself into? The person who prays for a new job and prays for higher income, and then they're really at a loss when they realize that higher income has more responsibility. We expect a promise, but when the promise actually comes to pass, it doesn't look like what we had hoped for. We want to skip the process. My next point, I hope you'll write this down. Promises require partnership. I wish I could turn on more air conditioning for us all. I wish that I could, but we're down to one unit today. So if you want, we'll just have this side stop breathing a moment while we breathe. And then when I step over here, this side will breathe while they hold their breath. Hopefully we'll have that fixed soon. Um, If you would like more air next week, we'll take a second offering. (laughs) Promises require partnership. By the way, our part in the partnership is simple. Some of us, when we think we are partnering with God, it means we're sitting at the executive table with him. He's showing us the plans, the blueprints. We're proving what we want God to do in our life, and we pass it back. And we're like, yes, sounds good, partner. It's not how partnering with God really works. When I say partnering with God, your part is surrender. Surrendering to the plans that God has. And we love 
We love to bargain with God, don't we? We love to try to make change with God. If this is the end result, if this is the promise, then I want to take this route to get there. In fact, most of the time, especially here in the West, we like to make our plans first and then ask God to bless them. You ever sat down at dinner? Happens at my house all the time, by the way, so don't feel guilty. You sit down for dinner and you start eating those amazing enchiladas or chicken piccata or Venezuelan food from the restaurant. And then your wife sits down and says, did we pray? Mm. <laughs> and you swallow it. And, or or on, on good days, it's your kids that ate first and you look at them very like shame. <laughs> you should know that we put God first in this house. And so I pray and I bless, um, bless the food to the nourishment of our bodies. I ask Holy Spirit to not let the calories count. I pray that he blesses the food that's on the table and the food that's already gone into our system. And I pray that he blesses the hands of the cook that prepared it. Only the hands. She doesn't need a full body blessing, just the hands. And so I pray over the food um, after the thought. Now this is just a silly example, of course. I, I'm not trying to convince anyone that this is that you're bad if you took a bite of food but in america we will start to eat the food and then remember oh we need to pray there are other nations who are blessing their food before the food ever reaches the table it is through the blessing of the food that they believe they are actually going to eat tomorrow we like to make our plans and ask god to bless it after we like to eat our food and ask God to bless it as it's already in our tummy. We, that's just how we are. But I'm, I'm wondering if you and I might understand that promises require proper priorities. We want the promises of God to just land in our lap, but where are the priorities? I mean, Jesus has really become a buffet item in culture today, and the church today. Jesus is like, I'll have a side of Jesus around my career. I'll have a side of Jesus around my homework. I'll have a side of Jesus around my sports. I'll have a side of Jesus around my education. I'll have a side of Jesus around my lake time. Like we take Jesus when we think we can fit him in. And we wonder why the promises of God are not overflowing in our home. Promises require proper priorities. I actually love Deuteronomy chapter 11. It says, For the land which you go to, when he's talking about the promised land, for the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come. Whew, I'm sorry, y'all. It is so hot up here. Thanks, son. Can we dim the lights a little bit? Just a little bit. I just don't want to pass out with these people. If I pass out, I don't think it's going to be Holy Spirit this time, y'all. That's good. Perfect. Thanks. Deuteronomy eleven ten through 12. For the land which you go to possess is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden, but the land which you cross over to possess is a land of hills and valleys, which drinks water from the rain of heaven, a land for which 
The Lord your God cares. The eyes of the Lord your God are always on it from the beginning of the year to the very end of the year. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up, I probably should go back to my Sunday school teacher and tell them that they misled me. Because I grew up thinking that Egypt was just a desert. It was just an awful place. And, and we just needed to get to the promised land where the milk and the honey flows. Like, you know, the big grapes that come back from the spies. And like, that's where all the good stuff is. We're leaving all the bad stuff in Egypt. But this verse in Deuteronomy actually tells us that's not the case. Yes, they were oppressed in Egypt. But in Egypt, the land was fertile. It tells us, from the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and watered it by foot as a vegetable garden. Now, I'm not a farmer, but I'm pretty sure that if I can build a garden by flipping a few seeds with my feet, that's fertile ground. So the promise of a new land wasn't necessarily that it was just mind-blowing better. It was just the promise that God had for them. Egypt was actually a good land for them, minus the oppression. And sometimes where we're at when we hear a promise from the Lord, the place we're currently at looks a lot better than the place God is taking us to. In 2010, Carrie and I came and left everything we had in College Station, Texas, God's home. We left a career, stability. We were associate pastors, had been on team for 10 years, a trusted associate, preaching to thousands of people, growing an incredible church, loving our team that we were on, had such a good covering. We left all the stability of that. Carrie had just started teaching in the public school system. Like our life was just gaining traction when we left it all to come here to launch a church. And we didn't even know if anyone was going to show up. We had just adopted three kids. We adopted you guys because we were going to start a church. And we didn't know. I said, we need seven people to show up, not just four. <laughs> so we found us a sibling group of three. That was a good investment, Mr. Drummer and Keyboard. And pretty handsome, too. But how many know... Coming to Austin, Texas in 2010 from a, a land that we were really secure, it didn't feel like we were headed to the promised land. It was a surrender. It was an obedience. It was believing God for a promise that we had not yet seen. And the truth is, during worship, I was looking across this room at everybody that's here and just thinking of your stories and how long you've been coming and how we met and just what you contributed to what God is, is doing here. And in the promised land, it may not be the, the kind of soil where I can flip a seed with my feet and grow something, but it is the kind of land where heaven sends the rain. Where it doesn't require for me to use my skills to plant. It requires me to step into a land in a place and a promise where God has already said he's going to sustain it. Promises require proper priorities. And my last point, I'll leave you with this and I'm done.
Promises require faith. Children of Israel were, the Bible says they were being led around by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. can't imagine what that must have been like. In the heat of the east wind, to have the covering of a cloud, providing a bit of shade in my travel, knowing that God sent that specifically to guide me and to provide shade for me as we went along. And then as the sun set at night, to see the, the flicker of a nightlight in the sky, to know that God had set it there to guide me and to give me some vision in the dark of night. As I'm laying next to the tent, maybe watering the camels, playing with the kids, we look up and we point at the pillar, the flame, realizing that the promise is coming. It's not here, but man, this journey... This journey is pretty incredible. These moments where God just allows us to partner with him and step in fellowship with him. By the way, where you're currently at today in life, you didn't get there by accident. You may not have even seen God in the process, but somewhere, some way, there's been a pillar of cloud by day leading you, and by night there's been a pillar of fire. Promises require faith. I'm going to close with this text, Hebrew 11, verse 23 through 29. Gives us a good overview of Moses and his faith and how his faith led to the promise. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. That's why we, that's why we took you, Jordan. You were a beautiful child. That's what got you adopted. I was, it's true. We looked at them and said, man, not now, but someday he's going to be good looking. <laughs> When the parents of Moses had Moses and they said he was a beautiful child, we learn in other texts of scripture, I believe it's in Acts chapter 7. I could be wrong on that. I'll get it to you. If you if you email me, I'll get you the exact one. But his parents knew that he was beautiful, the Bible says, because they knew that God loved him. So the parents saw the beauty in the child, not from an outward appearance, but because they knew that God cared about him. They knew God thought of him. And then Moses was sent down the Nile River. Do you remember the the babies were getting killed and the mom says, I got to put Moses in the Nile River and Miriam, his older sister, runs alongside as he's in the reeds and and then Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses and Miriam says, oh, you're going to need a nursemaid. I know somebody who can nurse him. And the lady 
knows that he's a Hebrew because he's circumcised and only circumcised babies are Hebrews. And so she says, yes, I'm going to need someone to nurse him. So Miriam runs back home to mom and says, you have to come nurse Moses and help raise him. So Miriam now gets paid to raise her son. By faith, he was born. He was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. God had a plan and a purpose for him. They were not afraid of being They were not afraid of the king's command. You'll never know what God can do until you trust him completely and depend on him to do it. Next verse. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward Verse 27, by faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as a dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. We see that Moses is getting closer to his promise because his life has a series of by-faith moments. So my question to you today is, what is your next by-faith moment? What is the next promise that you're holding on to from God? Will you stand? Promises require faith. If you have not read the book, you've not seen a movie, I don't want to spoil it for you, but the Red Sea does part and they go through. We've just talked about this morning standing on the edge, on the edge of your promise that requires a process It requires perseverance, requires priorities, requires partnership, and requires faith. Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you today. God, I just sense in the room that big faith needs to be stirred. Not enough of us, God, are living for something beyond ourselves right now. We have become apathetic. We have, we have become accustomed and friendly with the status quo. God, I ask that you would stir in our hearts to once again live by faith, to walk by faith, to believe for more, for contend for more, to find the promise that you have for us. If you're in the room, as we talk about faith and the promise, maybe... The first promise is the promise of salvation, the promise that the old man is gone and the new man has come. We know that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. The gospel tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that Jesus, the son of God, not not a prophet, not a normal man, not an average Joe, but the son of God came 
so that he could lay his life down on Calvary for our sins so that we could be in relationship with him. He was buried, and on the third day he rose again. If you're ready to receive the promise of eternal life, will you just lift your hand so I know who I'm praying for? You ready to say yes to Jesus? Ready to go all in for Jesus? Will you lift your hand? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're watching online, just go ahead and lift your hand or tap your foot. Do something that's an act of faith today to say, yes, I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. Church, will you pray? Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for me. I believe he was placed in a grave and rose on the third day. I surrender to you today. I receive the free gift of eternal life today. From this moment forward, my life will never be the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, please take a moment. Scan the QR code that's on the screen. If you missed it in the room, you can scan it out at the information desk as you exit today. Church, can we celebrate the decisions for Jesus today? Don't forget, next week is the church anniversary. We are hitting puberty, 13 years old as a church. Can't wait to see you next week at 1030 a.m. Take what you received in here and give to someone out there. God bless you.